Welcome to JR Art Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and I am having a conversation today, I'm delighted to say, with Stav Meshar. So welcome to you as well about this incredible show you're doing. I don't know, that's only, I call it a show, but it's a lot more than that, really. Um, it's a shared experience in a way, isn't it? It's, um, it's something very special. It's called The Escape Act. And I think you should describe it and, and how, tell us how clever that title is. Well, it started out as a show, definitely. I mean, when I first came across this true story of a German circus who saved a Jewish family of acrobats, um, I immediately knew I wanted to make a show out of it because I come from, from theater and from circus. And so that was the, the original intent. Um, but being also a Jewish educator, as well as an enthusiast of uh, Holocaust and Jewish history in general, um, it very quickly became more than a show. It became an educational and research and academic project uh, meant to commemorate and document the histories of not just this family that was saved, but many other Jewish circus artists under Nazi regime. Uh, and so the show is still the main part of it, I would say, but now we also have uh, a traveling exhibition, we have a lecture about the history, we have uh, hands-on workshops. So it's really um, a multifaceted project for any venue or community that wants to bring a unique angle to Holocaust education, and I dare say to education about refugee plights in general, as it very much connects to what's going on in the world today, unfortunately. Yes, well, I think we should probably tell briefly the wonderful story you tell it of the, the story that you found through an exhaustive research if you can just outline how you found the story of your wonderful um Irene is it Irene or Irene um I mean it depends on how how much of a stickler you are on the German accent Irene Irene I think we need to hear about Irene and what drew you to her and then I, I'm, I, what impresses me is that you really went for it. You spent years on this and you found out so much and widened it out. And then there's this idea of process of what you did with it. So if we can talk about that, how you made it personal as well. So there's a lot going on here. So first of all, how did you find her? Uh, well, the way I found her was kind of silly and a bit funny, I suppose. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a Jewish educator. I found, founded uh, a small nonprofit company that teaches uh, Jewish education through performing arts. And as I was starting to create uh, lesson plans that use circus arts as tools of teaching Jewish values and history, uh, I was curious if anyone else has thought of this unusual combination <laughs> of Judaism and circus. And so I went to Google and I typed in circus Jews. And one of the very first results that came up was the New York Times obituary of Adolf Althoff, the German circus owner who saved Irene and her family. And uh, it was, you know, an obituary about his life. And then in this one very short sentence, it said something like, um, Adolf and his wife Maria were uh, awarded the title of Righteous Among the Nations from the Yad Vashem Museum for having saved a Jewish family of uh, circus artists during the Holocaust. And I still remember just sitting there in front of the computer trying to pick up my jaw from off of the floor going, how is there no movie about this yet? Mm. How is this story not widely circulated? It just sounded so fantastical and, and, and fascinating. And, you know, it, it had everything. Um, and so that's how I came upon this story. And um, 
as for Iran, I'll give you I'll give you her and her family story really in a let's put in a very small uh, nugget uh, as okay. shortly as I can. Um, Iran was a descendant of true Jewish circus royalty, the Lorsch family. They were an Icarian family act that traveled all over the world. They performed with circuses in South America, in uh, the United States. They were really famous for their acrobatic family act. No, you better and, explain uh, that. Icarian, I know, I know what that means from reading an article about it. And I guess it's, <laughs> I, see, it's a sort of, you're practically flying as an acrobat with each other's help. Is that right? And it must yes. be named after Icarus, the, the, the boy who flew to near the sun, I think. In, in Greek mythology. So Icarian mm. act is kind of like mm. if you would think about foot juggling. There is usually uh, at least one person lying on their back with their mm -hmm. legs in the air and another person on their feet and they juggle them around. They do flips and turns mm. and, you know, catapulting through the air. So that's that's an Icarian act. Wow. It's not seen as much uh, in circuses today. It's a bit of a traditional circus act that's... Uh, not as common, but they were, Iran's family were really masters of it. Um, well, I'd and, like to see it, right. wouldn't you? Very Absolutely. Iran uh, came from this family of, of Jewish uh, circus uh, traditions, and uh, she started her own circus career when she was 13. She got her first mm. job, and then very quickly, as the Nazis gained power and instated new laws prohibiting Jews from working, she had to quit that job and go back home um, and of course, as it got worse and worse for the Jews, she ended up uh, coming up to the Althoff Circus and getting a job there, which ended up saving her life. And later on, she persuaded Althoff to let her parents and her sister join, and all four of them survived, thanks to the generosity of the Althoffs. Mm. And that's basically the story you tell, but there's yes. so much in it. I mean, there are two things. One of it, it's the richest possible story I can imagine, because there's she, she falls in love, and there's a, a, a Moroccan circus performer. So that is also rich. But then it's mm -hmm. the way that you actually use it. So that, I think if we can just go a little bit more into her experiences and the wonderful people that she, you know she became part of this. Very Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So she fell in love with the circus Althoff's uh, Gentile clown. His name was Peter Bento. He was also a descendant of a very famous uh, circus family, not Jewish, though they were Belgian Christian, I think. Um, and she fell in love with this clown. And uh, of course, you weren't really allowed to marry if you were, you know, a Jewish and a non-Jewish. Uh, but she stayed with him throughout the war. They had two kids during the war, got married after the war, had three more children um and stay together till the day they died um so that that was her husband who she met at the circus and other than that like you mentioned there was a moroccan acrobat called muhammad who became really uh sort of best friends with iran and peter uh and he peter and uh mr altoff were such good friends that everybody at the circus named them the three musketeers oh. the three of them were really quite brave to the fault of uh, carelessness sometimes, I dare say. Um, very sort of, you know, think young men who think, you know, they can take on the world and the world cannot touch them. That mm. sort of um, Errol Flynn almost kind oh. of attitude. <laughs> That's wonderful, yeah. And they were actually brave in the ring, but actually very brave out of the ring as well, weren't they? Because the Nazis didn't exactly leave the circus alone, did they? They seem to have come calling several they came times. They for constant inspections, not because... I don't think they suspected there were Jewish, Jewish people there. It's just something that they did. They 
looked for Jews wherever they could, and they came oh. to the Altaf Circus quite frequently. Um, and Iran and her family throughout the war had various methods of hiding out. Um, I think in the beginning, if I remember correctly, um, Altaf would distract the Nazis with uh, alcohol and delicacies and uh, big, <laughs> big tales of the circus while Mohammed would come and help them hide. They had this little hidden corridor built into their caravan. Wow. So they would go in there sort of like a secret compartment. Um, there was also a point in which the secret code was go fishing and mm. they would just pack their things and go and hide in the forest or actually do go fishing in the nearby river or whatever was available. There were various methods of, of hiding. And one of my favorite uh, stories that they had, which is in my show only for a brief moment, but I had to include it. Um, there was a point where they hid out in the elephant's tent. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ren already had a baby with her who was, of course, you know, as babies do, crying and mm. making noises. And so uh, she was hiding there with the elephant and the baby was starting to fuss. And the elephant made noises to sort of drown out the oh. baby and and save them the elephant protected them which is kind of amazing you can't you can't make that stuff up no, it must have sent something mustn't it it really must. i would observe though that if the wonderful um circus owner if adolf provided such brilliant hospitality i have a horrible feeling those nazis came calling more than they needed to just so that they could enjoy the sweet meats and the wine and the and so forth don't you think um but Quite possible, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, well, yeah, I can just imagine that happening. So they did survive. Um, I just think your title is so perfect. I mean, did you think of that? That's so clever of you to escape out. Well, the original title of the show was Run Away, Join the Circus, which was a play on words on mm. the very famous circus uh, cliche. Yeah. I ran away and joined the circus. So I, I wanted to go with the whole run because mm. they're running away from Nazis. So I wanted to go for that. But it didn't quite portray what I wanted it to and so for a while I was bouncing around some ideas for names in my head and uh, asked some friends what they thought about my ideas and, and ended up um, settling for the escape act which you know originally it was about the double entendre of of course the escape act giving a uh, sensation of circus or magic or mm. sort of uh, you know, performance yeah. mystery yeah. Uh, but then on the other hand the escape act of course escaping from the nazis and i thought okay i have two meanings that's pretty good and then as i was working on the show and started incorporating my own family history um, and my own childhood memories growing up um, with Holocaust surviving grandparents, as I started weaving that into the, the show, I realized then, oh, wait a minute, there's there's a third meaning here because, you know, you grow up in the shadow of these tragedies and you don't really directly face them. You sort of, you stay away and you try to, I don't know, deal with trauma by, by sweeping it under the rug. But of course you can't escape from those things and they come up and they, and they flood you. And, and, you know, and so it became this, this extra layer of meaning too. Yeah. That's very important. Isn't it that you, you put that in because you're, you're, you have the right to speak for the subsequent generations, which is where we are now. Um, so, I mean, you, you explain that in Israel in particular, it just wasn't the, the thing to do to talk about it and so there's a, a sort of hidden trauma that festers isn't there uh, yes well i grew up in israel where 
the relationship of of the new budding uh, socialist state with the traumas of the refugees who came from Europe, that relationship was very strained. Uh, basically, the the refugees who came from Europe were told flat out, you know, okay, you went through some terrible things, but we don't want to hear about it because you're here now and it's all gone and done with. So focus on putting yourself to work and building this this new state and, and making a new life for yourself, which I can understand as a, as a tactic for coping, you know, like, okay, move on and try to make something good for yourself. But um, but obviously, as we know now, which we I don't think Israel realized in, in the 50s and 60s, uh, putting such traumas away and, and not facing them is, is not really a healthy thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, my grand my grandfather and his generation, for the most part, did not were not encouraged to talk about those things. And uh, but you you grow up in a house where that's always omnipresent you know? Yes, it's it's a very important part of your life, isn't it? I mean, it, uh, do you feel then that you're you're making you're making a difference in quite a lot of ways, aren't you, with this show? I mean, talk about, <laughs> I mean, you're making that difference in that you're you know you're helping perhaps you're helping other people in your position or other families to to understand you know that if we don't talk now, that there's so many reasons why the trauma will persist. But also, um, you talk about you know, Holocaust education through circus, which sounds, you know, do those two things go together? Yes, they really, really do. But ways of telling stories, particularly this story, but because at the moment they are trying to find ways of telling the stories of survivors because, you know, the, the, the way life is, there will soon be no more survivors. It has to happen eventually. And so... One idea I know is that they are working on in the Holocaust Centre. Um, in... Holograms of survivors. Yes, holograms. Absolutely, which I think is very powerful. And I, as far as I know, they've asked, tried to ask every single question that they can so that if somebody else, say a child visiting, asks a question, mm -hmm. there should actually be an answer in the voice of that survivor. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly brave and wonderful of the survivors to participate. Absolutely. I think it's an incredible project and I'm so glad they're doing that because keeping the voices of survivors alive and told firsthand, even after they're gone from this life, I think is a wonderful thing to do. And um, and with the holograms, I think they're also getting the added benefit of uh, technology, which I know many people look down upon, but you know, you can't stop the progress and, and younger people are processing the world around them through technology. And so having this hologram technology is great. Um, so this project is wonderful. My show is trying to do something similar, but from another angle. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely, when I was working on it and, and creating it, I did have Holocaust survivors in mind and, and the constant reminder that it's only a matter of time before, unfortunately, they're all going to pass away. And as I was talking to to people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, by the way, uh, people who were telling me what kind of Holocaust education they've had, um, other than mentioning, you know, movies like Schindler's List or Life is Beautiful, um, pretty much all of them said that the most powerful experience they've had was when a Holocaust survivor came to their school or their synagogue or their community and just sat there and without, you know, without any bells or or anything like that just told their story and 
And I think that's true. I think all due respect to, to movies and to theater, which is what I'm doing, at the end of the day, nothing is going to be as powerful as a person telling, this is what happened to me. And I was trying to think, okay, what can I create within my limited tools as a stage performer that will be as close to replicating that experience, never truly replicating it, but as close as can be. And so this show that combines both Iran's story and mine was the closest I could come to that. Iran's story, I feel, is close to to hearing from a Holocaust survivor because she is a Holocaust survivor. And while I am not her and I'm not telling uh, my own story. I am acting as her and telling the story in first uh, person as if I was her. So there's that. And then when I step out of character and I speak as myself to the audience, breaking the fourth wall and talking about my own true experiences as a grandchild to survivors, then the audience does get this very um, visceral and, and direct experience of hearing from a survivor, but a different kind of survivor, right? Somebody who hasn't been to the camps, who didn't live through those things, but who grew up with that multi-generational trauma. And and so it's my attempt to, to bring uh, the audience as a kind of Holocaust education that's as close to speaking to a survivor, but it's also in some ways a challenge to think about what sort of effect um, such a genocide can have not only on the people who experienced it, but on generations to come. I think, you know, in today's world, as refugees from Syria and from uh, Africa, it's it's all coming up to the surface again. I think when countries consider how to treat these these very real issues shouldn't just be on how do we treat it right now, the people who are coming up, but also looking into the future long-term thinking, how can we create a solution that will that will help us make the world a little less sick in, for our future generations. Yeah, and, and I well, I think you are making your contribution because for, for lots of different reasons. Um, as I said, partly because you use so many different ways of telling the story. Um, it isn't just a show. I love the slideshow of, uh, at the beginning when when you're just hanging around in the foyer where I was. The exhibition, yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely wonderful. You know, the exhibition and a slideshow of of Jews in circus, because that's important too. I mean, you know, you're framing them, aren't you? You, you know, yeah. they're not just popping up from nowhere. It's a whole, it's a whole it context. Is. It's a context, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Well, the show, the show already has quite a lot of uh, stage tools. So first of all, it's a theater mm. show, so there's a lot of text in it. Um, but I'm also a circus artist, so there's <laughs> some juggling and some trapeze in it. Right. And then all the other characters are portrayed by puppets, both three-dimensional and two-dimensional. And we have projections of historical pictures and videos, uh, as well as uh, Nazi sort of shadow puppets projected. So there's, there's a lot of things going mm. on on stage already. And as you said, other than the show, which has all that, there's also the exhibition at the lobby of the theaters. Um, I mentioned the, the workshops. There's, there's a lot. Um, and yeah, and I'm really hoping that eventually this show is very new. We just started, but my, my long-term vision for it is that eventually it becomes a project that's booked for say a weekend long residency, mm. you know, so a synagogue can book us say Thursday through Sunday. And we do a lecture for the grownups one day about the history of circus Jewish artists in Nazi Europe. And then on Friday, everybody comes together in the evening mm. to watch mm. a show. And on Saturday, maybe we do a workshop like that's So it's really an immersion mm. in Holocaust education from that unique angle of 
Jewish circus artists, um, which I think can be particularly powerful for young people because, you know, the circus, it's such a colorful and, and uh, fascinating world. I can't really think of any better way to, to get kids to start engaging with this very difficult topic. You know, I think you're absolutely right. I can imagine, you know, obviously the different movements, um, definitely the liberal and progressive movement and the reform movement, they have summer schools, you know, and I can just see it going down brilliantly there. I know you're doing, you're, you're going to Limud, aren't you? But I yeah. I do think you're right. And w- would you actually do some circus skills with the children? Yes. So, mm. um, so- I... I- put together two different workshops uh, that places can choose either or both. Um, One of them is a drama workshop where we will be working with uh, testimonies from Holocaust survivors and staging them together. And the other workshop is a circus skill workshops where um, children and or families can come and learn uh, real and not too advanced, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, real circus skills that were performed uh, by artists in the 30s and 40s, so sort of like a vintage circus skill workshop. Oh, well, that yeah, I, I really can see a future for that, as, as you so rightly say. The, there's something else, actually, um, just to bring it into where we are at the present day. Um, Momo, who's that, that wonderful character, I've got that right. Yeah, Mohammed, yeah. the Moroccan Mohammed. There's this extraordinary <laughs> yeah. story you actually managed find him and meet him and just I did I did so I've I've been researching Irene's family and other Jewish circus artists for the past seven years so it's really very (laughs) difficult uh to put it all in a one-hour show let alone put it all together in in our very short conversation today but yes one of my favorite moments during that research is that I tracked down the only person still alive today who was around uh, the Altov Circus when when Irene uh, was hiding there during the war, and that is Mohammed, the Moroccan acrobat. He's currently 95 years old, wow. uh, and he lives in Tangier in Morocco, and I visited him and interviewed him and um, had a wonderful time. He is, a, he is such a great man and still sharp and funny and remembers everything, speaks I think seven different languages. Just really a wonderful man. Yeah, and what is lovely is that he, well, he presumably he's a Muslim. Is he? Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. He is Muslim. Yeah, and I think that's really important. You know, that he was. He's this wonderful, lively, life-enhancing character. And then there was this. I mean, that trio that you mentioned. We are talking about a Muslim, a Christian, and a Jew. So it sounds oh, yeah. like the beginning. Of, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the beginning of one of those jokes, doesn't it? But you know, exactly. Like, well, hmm. you know, it's really it's interesting you bring that up because it's true. He is a Muslim, and when I first came across this story, it was one of the things that drew me to it. This friendship between a Muslim acrobat, a Jewish acrobat, and their Christian savior and the Christian clan. Like I thought that was a beautiful aspect of it. But as the years progressed, I kind of forgot about that aspect because um, I was focusing more on um, this other aspect that Adolf keeps talking about, which is in circus, they don't really care about mm. your race or your religion or where you came from. It's it's actually quite practical. If you have a skill, that's all they care about. If you have something to contribute to this big family, this big business called the circus, then nobody's going to go and check like what you believe in or what you do in your own spare time. You've got something to contribute. You're good to go. And so, you know, when they asked Adolf, why did you take this risk? Why did you save this Jewish family? He said, well, to me, you know, it didn't. I didn't really see them as Jewish. They were circus. Mm. I am circus. They are circus. Of course I saved them. 
And so I forget sometimes Momo was Muslim because it's just, you know, they were all circus to me. Yeah, but in this moment, you know, and if you're going into a multicultural school, isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to say? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I need to remind mm. myself of yeah, that so I no, don't I forget. Think but yeah, this beautiful friendship of, of across all religions mm. and faiths. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this may be a bit uh, blasphemous to some, but I think if you actually look at all major religions, the values at the core of them are quite similar, you know, uh, compassion and taking care of uh, your community. It's all, I don't know, I'd like to think that at the end of the day, religions all have this thing in common where it's just about being good people. And so, you know, no matter if you are Christian or Muslim or Jewish, if you see a person in danger, I think, you know, you know deep in your heart that what you need to do is help them. Mm. That's so right. And that's another lesson of the show. And I keep, I use the word lesson. It sounds, oh gosh, it's very preachy, but it so isn't. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's enchanting and it's fun and it's arresting. And, you know, I looked at this thing, oh, it's a one-woman show. I I can't see it as that anymore. I just think it's populated by so many characters, <laughs> all those puppets and voices. And it's, yes, it's, and animals. It is a circus with animals. You can't have that anymore. Uh, with, with animals, but not real animals. No, puppets, no, no, animals. no, no, puppet <laughs> animals. Finally, now you're living in Bristol Circus City. Um, but for you, it's also your cheese city, because you were on your honeymoon when you met Momo. You didn't say that, did you? I was. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's a bit so... of a funny story, the way mm. I even made it to, to Momo. So uh, the month before my husband and I were due to go on our honeymoon, I took a small research trip to Irene's town. Uh, I met with her children and interviewed them. I went to the town's archives and pulled up a lot of documents and photos about the families, like I said, that were a bit of local celebrities. Uh, and I did this little research trip, and when I was speaking to Irene's uh, eldest son, I asked him if they're still in touch with um, with Altov's children. Uh, and he said, yes, yes, uh, we still uh, send each other cards on birthdays and Christmas. Uh, but the one we are really in, in very close contact with is our Uncle Momo. Oh, Uncle. And I still remember, you know, I'm talking to Irene's son. This guy is in his 70s, right? Mm. And he's telling me Uncle Momo. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe my ears. I said, you, you, you were saying he's still alive? He goes, yeah, yeah. He's living in Tangier. We just, uh, mm. we visited him for his 90th birthday a few mm. years ago. And I couldn't believe my luck. I said, wait a minute, he's living in Tangier. My husband and I are going on our honeymoon in Morocco in two weeks. Could you please give me his phone number? I'd love to call and ask if we can come visit him. And so that's, you know, it was really, like we like to say in Judaism, was it was beshert. It was meant yes, to be. Yes, it was really meant to be, wasn't it? Yeah, well, and so I hope, I hope your husband didn't mind having a sort of busman's um, honeymoon. Oh, my husband was fascinated. <laughs> I mean, how often do you get to visit a 94 years old Moroccan acrobat? No, oh, well, it's just so, Really? And hearing his stories from the time of World War II. Yeah, well, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> makes your honeymoon pretty memorable. And I'm going to put in a plug here for your husband's cheese shop because my daughter <laughs> my daughter lives in Circus City, but now you're telling me it's Cheese City as well. So when I come and visit well, my daughter... Uh, Bristol is Circus City. Um, <laughs> Nick, my husband, works in Bath at a shop called a The Bath. Fine Cheese Company. Ah, um, Right, well, we're going to have to make a trip to Bath just to buy cheese. <laughs> Actually, how long have you been married? 
we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Oh, right. So I just tried to get a time frame of this. Right. Okay. We went on a late honeymoon. We went on a honeymoon about a year and a half. Oh, ago. okay. <laughs> Fine. Well, I think you should go on one every year. You probably deserve it. Right. <laughs> anyway, look, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you. And um, it, there's so much more to this project, as I say, than just an incredible show. There really is. Well, if I can put on a little plug, if anyone's listening to us, uh, I still have two more shows left on our UK tour. I have a show in Birmingham uh, at a place called Circus Mash uh, on Sunday, October 27th. And then two days later on Tuesday, October 29th, I have another performance at the Lowry in Salford, Manchester. And I'd really, really love to have a nice, big, full audiences. Um, it's a show for adults, but also suitable, I'd say, to kids ages 10 and up. So bring your tweens and teens. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm hoping this is just the first UK tour of many and working on other tours as well. In fact, in November, the, you'd, you'd enjoy this little piece of information. In November, I'm taking my show to Iran's town, the synagogue invited ah. me to perform my show on the anniversary of Kristallnacht there for wow. the whole town and for Iran's family. So, that, that's so that's going to be quite an experience. That must be about the 9th, 10th, isn't it? It's the night yeah. overnight. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two mm. more shows in the UK and then one more in Germany. And after that, I am open. I want a tour. I want to bring this show anywhere that wants us, not, not just anywhere around the world, but also any kind of venue that wants us, mm -hmm. not just theaters, schools, community centers, elderly homes, any place that thinks this will be of interest to their community. I'm happy to come. Right. Well, I, and I'd be happy to see it again. So there you go. And I'd certainly <laughs> like to join in some of these other wonderful things that you've built around it. So I highly recommend it. It's been an absolute joy to speak to you. Starve me, Shah. Thank um, you as well. Thank you for having me. Right, so thank you for talking to me for Jay Out Loud.